welcome to Drinking and Talking with your host, Vincent Franconi. Officially drinking and talking number, we've lost count at this point, and we mix up mix them up anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, and I'm uh, here again, as always, in Cunines with Jeff, producer. Hello, Jeff. Hello. And uh, today's guest is Jeremy T. Wilson. We'll stick with the Jeremy T. If you like the middle initial? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Is there is there a story behind the middle initial? Uh, well, there's no story really, but the reason why I like to use it, I think Jeremy Wilson is a pretty boring name. Oh, you know, it's pretty standard, right? Yeah. And I guess John Wilson would be worse. Jack. Jack. Jim. Yeah, Jack yeah. was my uncle. All right. Um, yeah. So, anyway, um, so I think the T does something. I like the way it looks. Um, but also, my dad's um, middle name was Thomas, which is my middle name. And so I also, like, it's a kind of, like, just a subtle sort of reminder and kind of tribute sort of thing. Not, not to that, my dad. Not that this matters, but my dad's middle name is also Thomas. There you so go. It's, there a, you it's go. a solid middle name. It is a solid middle name. It's not a very Italian name, but... No, it's not. Yeah, Nicholas Thomas Franconi doesn't really work. No. I always well, thought it was a bad name. Yeah. Well, anytime you end with Franconi, everything becomes <laughs> Italian. It really does, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like... I always laugh because I, I always thought that it was a bitch to name your kids when you had that last name because you can't really do like a, you know, Seamus or, you know, it's, you're pretty much stuck to an Italian name. Yeah, it's going to become Italian. Yeah. No yeah. what you put it there. So, yeah. you know, the names are, that's why Vincent was picked, I think. Because that's yeah, a pretty whoppy yeah. name. Yeah. So, like, we can get away with it. It's that. pretty solid, though. Yeah. It's good. But I like the tea. It breaks it up. So, I, yeah. it does look good. And I am, I am holding, for those of you at home, um, you can't see it, but I'm holding Jeremy's book. You might see it if you're, you know, if you got the special edibles I sent you in the mail. Um, but otherwise, I am holding a copy of his recently published book, Adult Teeth, which I, at his book launch, uh, made, I think, the greatest comment uh, you're going to get at any of your events. Uh, when, you know, it was a Q&A, and I asked the question. You remember the question I asked you? I don't. You looked pretty nervous. Uh, at the question? I mean, yeah. probably because you were about to ask something and I didn't know what it was going to be. So I was like, oh, shit. It's, it's going to say something. And it was, He's probably been drinking. Yeah, it was. And, uh, well, Gary was feeding, and, everyone was feeding me wine. Yeah. So I was yeah. drinking a lot that night. Um, I, I what said, was it? Did I said, it have something to do with dentistry? No, I wanted to go that way, but I said, the book is called Adult Teeth. How pornographic is it? Oh, yeah. And then I immediately... Did I answer that? You did, but then I immediately like said, just kidding, and asked a real question. Okay. Which I did ask about the title. Yeah. So to try to save it. Yeah. But I've been like thinking of the question for days in advance. Like, what am I going to ask? Like, what's going to be the perfect question? So, speaking yeah. of drinking. Yeah. Uh, and then you even you inscribed it very beautifully, by the way. Um, <laughs> with uh, "Don't drink and drive." Um, it's always solid advice. Because at the last thing I saw you at, which was at 57th Street, where you were reading, uh, you were doing a Q and A with uh, Bill Ayers of all people, mm-hmm. William Ayers. Yeah. Um, you. I made the comment that that was probably the first time I'd ever been uh, in a room with you without alcohol. Yeah, yeah uh, imagine then, that. Yeah, yeah. It kind of suddenly occurred to me like that is kind of a, a thing. Like I only see you um, usually at a mutual friend's house when there's a lot of booze. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. What does that say about us or our friendship or <laughs> about writing or about 
There's so many directions that this could go, and none of them make me feel like a good person. No, I felt really, like, as soon as I said that as, a, as an aside, uh, and then I left the event, and, like, and it was a great inscription to write, but then I thought, yeah, we can, I kind of drink a little bit too much. <laughs> like, I've been slowing down literally since that night. That'll happen. That yeah. will happen um, as you put on the years. Actually, I haven't had any, I told you this the last time I saw you, but I haven't had a whiskey in um, quite a while, actually. But we should probably change that as over the course of this conversation. It might happen. Since it is drinking and talking. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. idea. It's funny because the last time we had uh, someone on, who they don't drink, so they're drinking like a soda, I think. And uh, I mean, it's not breaking the rules. No, I mean, they're still drinking, <laughs> still talking. It's not called like consuming alcohol and talking. <laughs> That's all we're going to talk about, though. Booze? Yeah. It might be because I think there's something there. Uh, yeah, well, definitely. Well, I mean, it is. Uh, Jeremy's a, a writer. This is a book of short stories, um, which I literally finished today. I've been reading kind of slowly over the past. I'm reading this and two other books, so I wasn't really committed to your book. Well, let like me I ask you been. a question right now, then, because this <laughs> yeah. is something that um, I've been talking about with people about this collection, but in general about short story collections. Sure. I find them really, really difficult to read in the same way yeah. that I do a novel or Absolutely. even a memoir, you know, yeah. because it's such a stop-start thing. Yes. So you feel that way too? Absolutely. Um, novels have that sense of there's a long progression. There's, there's a certain investment you get in characters. Even sort of non-linear, weird novels. Like I'm reading uh, the other book I'm reading. I told you, I'm reading Gravity's Rainbow, which is not a book that you need to necessarily like. That's a book I can take a week off from, yeah. pick up again, and it's not like I missed anything. But um, yeah, novels do have that sort of commitment you have to make. You got to lock in, um, and even poetry collections are the same way. Like I feel, um, you know, like I could dip into it. That's why I kind of like poetry collections and short story collections. So that's the thing I like about them. But they don't. Uh, like I feel like after like I did this with some of your stories. I read it and I stopped for a few days because it's like, well, I need to take a break. Like going from one and then switching gears to another new narrative, new set of circumstances and characters, it is disjointing. Yeah, and I, I mean, yeah, I, I think so too. And I haven't really thought about it, but it's certainly in the case of my own reading habits. And like, um, what happens is all the stories start to blend together in some way. Yeah, you know? like, especially if the author has a very singular voice, yeah. which is a, not a bad thing. Uh, yeah. And I would argue you kind of do. Yeah. So I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not a criticism, but it is because the characters are very distinct and the stories are very distinct. And I know they're not the same characters, but there's the same town often of Charity, which is, is that a fictional town? It is made up. Yeah. Fictional town in Georgia, right? Yeah. Which is where you're from. Yes. Jeremy's a southerner. Yeah. Southern boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's other characters in Chicago, but they're often Humble Park residents. Yeah. So there's a certain familiarity to setting and difference in actual characters. And um, I don't think there's ever like a moment where the character from one story feels like the character from the next. But because there is a certain kind of continuity, it does help to break. Yeah. Which is okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's just funny. Like, you know, people are like... People always apologize for that. It's like, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've read the first couple of stories, and it's like, okay, that's great. You don't, you know, you're not under no obligation to like continue. If you put down a short story collection after the first three stories, that doesn't yeah. mean you hate it. No, right? I mean, it might. It might mean that the stories aren't good enough to sustain, but it also might just mean that like, I think a lot of people aren't used to reading short stories. First of all, no, well, that's um, that's very very yeah, true. Yeah, because very everyone sad. hates them. They're, you know, yeah, but they're they're, they're unmarketable. But. Yeah, and they are. They're totally unmarketable. Yeah, um, and so there's all there, all of this is just to say there's a lot stacked against us. Yeah, writing the short story, you know. I mean, 
it's very interesting because my favorite short story in here, I'm going to go ahead and say, it used to be Nesting. Nesting is definitely a story. I read that story when it was published originally in, I don't remember where. Um, it was in uh, Frigg, yeah. which is an online bag. But I remember reading that uh, probably at least a year or maybe more ago. Mm-hmm. And it was it's still kind of one of what I think uh, my favorites in the book. But um, I think my favorite one, if, if I have to pick one, is probably uh, Everything is Going to Be Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good story. I think it's a really... Like, that was the one that I felt like, um, I mean, I like the entire book, but that's one where I was, like, really invested in what the fuck is going on, yeah. and there was a certain sense of, um, I don't want to say mystery, because that sounds misleading, but there was a certain sense of, like, what's going on with the sister? Yeah. Like, why the fuck is she there? And there's right. all these things happening. So, it, and it ends in a way that a short story is supposed to end. It sort of, it doesn't resolve cleanly. It's just kind of, like, it, it has a point that feels like a natural stopping point. But this is the complaint that people have with short stories, and I know people who really don't like short stories. And they always say, I feel like the endings are always ambiguous and I never get that payoff that a novel kind of needs to give you because you've invested so much time. But a story, you can invest a day in it. And that's okay. It's like you're inhabiting the skin of somebody for a day yeah. and, or the circumstances of a, of a story. And then, you know, if it stops, it stops. And it should stop at a place where it feels logical and it, as far as the logic of the story is concerned. Right. And I think that one does. Yeah. But like when I finished that story, I'm like, that's when I took a break. Because I'm like, this is where I need to stop from this for a little while. Pick it up in a few days so I can yeah. go back to reading something else. Yeah. You know, I like that story. That's the that's the one that um, won the Nelson Algren Award. So. Is that the one that won? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, fuck. So, so there you go. You and the See? and the judges have like similar taste, I guess. I don't like that, but, but okay. <laughs> I know you wanted to I find wanted to one a, in there. Yeah, that, I want like, to be like an outlier. Yeah, yeah, I want to be the outlier. Um, so, uh, but but yeah, the the short story ending, it just feels a lot more like real life to me. And I think sometimes people who don't prefer those types of endings, for one reason or another, don't want their fiction to feel like real life. Mm. You know? I mean, there are enough, there are like a lot of ambiguous endings in our lives. There's like all sorts of things that don't tie up and, you know, connections connections that aren't made and like things that you know, don't make sense. Um, no, that stands so, reason. you know, I, I, like that is more appealing to me, the, you know, the complication. And I'm, I'm, I'm still always thinking about like a very traditional approach to the short story in the sense that there's going to be a main character or main characters. And I, and I do want there to be some sort of arc to the, to the, to that character's movement through the story. Now, but that may not mean that like everything that they're after, they're going to get, Right. Um, but I'm still very cognizant of that, you know, it's a very traditional sort of approach to it. Do you think that if you were to, I mean, have you ever read a novel that ends in an ambiguous moment like that and then it's just, is it, does it feel less satisfying in a sense because that's a form that should have a little bit more payoff? I mean, because I'm drawn to short stories, I think that even when a novel ends like that, I'm, I'm okay with it. It does feel, since you've invested a little more time, that you want some closure. But, like, did you read Stephen Florida? No. Um, no. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Gabe Habish. Um, H-A-B-A-S-H. Yeah. Um, 
I don't see. Um, it's probably just habish, right? It's I'm, probably I'm trying to like put a lot of like something. Yeah, you're trying to, yeah. right? Or it's like something my, like that. I don't know. Like when my I have a quick aside when my friend in the '90s told me I should read Martin Ami. Oh, right. Martin Amos. He was just trying to French it up. But go ahead. Right, that's what it's I Martin like Amos. Yeah. His name's Gabe Amish. Probably, okay? yeah. It probably is. Anyway, Stephen Florida, great novel. Okay, really, really good. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what happens at the end. I have some theories, but um, yeah, it's it's not clear. No, I love it's that. Not clear, and I and I loved it too. I was like, yeah. this is this is how this story should end. I think sometimes the the, the feeling you have to force this ending that really ties things up is a, a disservice. Um, so, did you read uh, twenty six sixty six? I did not. So okay, that was ten years old now, twenty six sixty six, and I might have mentioned this to you last time I saw you because I know we were talking about it. Um, but it ends. It, it's a. It's about twelve hundred pages, eleven hundred pages. It's the longest fuck novel, and it ends. It has like no ending. It just stops. Part of it is because Bolaño died. I, that's what I was going to say. I thought it was because he died. But I always read that that was the draft that he that he wrote first, and he was like, "Well, I'll go back and revise." And they just published like a second draft before it maybe had his final. Like I don't think he had an ending in mind. And if you read the novel, it doesn't feel like it should have a really concrete ending anyway. Like, it just sort of ends in this really weird way. Yeah. And people are like, I just invested a month of my life in reading this book and it's just done? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And I kind of like that. Like, I just don't know that you need to have, like, and they rode off into the sunset. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that you do either. And to, to me, it's, um, it's antagonistic to sort of, like, the process and why I'm writing in the first place. I'm not, I'm not trying to write to um, land on like this sort of perfect moment, right? Yeah. I'm usually like trying to discover something about, I don't know, X, Y, or Z, a theme, a person, a, a setting, a something. And so I, when, when stories end in ways like that, it just feels kind of manipulative and false yeah. sometimes, you know? No, I and uh, I'm pretty hyper aware of that. Cause I think I, I think I used to always want my endings to, to be tidy. And, uh, you know. I mean, if it's a mystery novel, yes. Well, you want, yeah. You know, but not the kind of things that... I mean, I think literary fiction, if we can call, you know, what we're talking about literary fiction, which is kind of a pretentious way of talking about the yeah. books we're talking about, but, like, it does have a little bit of a leeway to do things like that, to just kind of, like, not really resolve or just resolve in a moment that doesn't feel like a, a traditional cinematic payoff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even movies fucking do that and I love it. Um, did you ever see Once Upon a Time in America? Did you ever see this movie, Jack? I know of it, but I don't think I've ever seen it. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, if you read the whole, the full version, which you should, it's a four hour movie. Okay. Uh, it's a gangster movie. Uh, 1920s, Jewish gangsters, New York, uh, Robert De Niro and James Woods. And it's four hours. It's a fucking yeah. epic. Um, it makes The Godfather kind of feel like a, like you know, like a, a short story. Right. And it has such an ambiguous ending. It just it's confused people and bothered people. Yeah. And I think it's just absolutely perfect. Yeah. It's such a goofy, strange thing that happens at the end that people still apparently go up to James Woods and, and ask him questions about yeah. it. Like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. And he goes, don't ask me, man. Yeah, well, movies movies have that bear that responsibility even more than literature. Yeah. I mean, like, people really oh, do yeah. not want their movies to end that way. 
you can't no, you can't end in, a, in an off note. No, no, no. But I love it. Um, no country for old men. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah that's a, like I people. Love. I did too, but like, I mean, people hated that. Right? I saw that at the theater, and someone screamed as soon as the credits came on. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they were so mad, and I was just like awed. Like it ruined my moment of feeling awe. It's like what an amazing moment, and yeah. then what the fuck? Like, ah, yeah. Dick. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in, you know, I don't know. It's Endings are hard. I mean, one thing that I talk about, um, one thing that I talk about with my students a lot, and they're super young, so they're still in, you know, kind of feeling like someone either has to die at the end, <laughs> um, someone has to wake up from a dream, or like, you know, they're, they're, these, they're these kind of like fantastical or like kind of cliche endings, right? Um, so it's really, really hard to, to, to teach them what an end, the possibility of an ending, you know, yeah. and, uh, it's, it's something that I'm constantly working on and trying to articulate with them, you know, um, we should note here that Jeremy teaches, where do you teach? Where? Yeah. I teach, Chicago, at, the, I teach at the Chicago high school for the arts. That's the one, yeah. yeah. So I teach freshmen and well, I teach, I teach juniors and seniors too. Um, but so by that like point, 15 to 17 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. By the okay. time they're juniors and seniors and they've been through this program with us, they have a better sense of, of an ending. But when they come in, it's... it's yeah, I mean, it stands it's a reason. I mean, they're coming in having absorbed, um, not bad stuff, but, but like the kind of thing that is a little yeah. bit more rote. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, they've read so much more. Most of them have read so much more. Um, by the time they're freshmen than I have than I read there's just so much more marketed to them than I remember do you remember books being marketed to you when you were no. in 8th grade I didn't read a book there were none for, I did not read a book for pleasure of my own seeking until probably my junior year of high school and that was very much because uh, I watched um, the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey and I wanted to read the book to find yeah. out what the fuck was going on because I didn't understand the movie yeah did you find out no no then I read 2010 the sequel yeah. and then I read the Hitchhiker's Guidebooks and then I read and then I started reading Stephen King so like by the time I was a senior I was a big genre dude yeah um, but even that like that was my first forays and even that is very much like once I discovered that, that's still very much. All those books have endings that are incredibly pat, incredibly yeah. um, unfulfilling. Like yeah. I, I got quickly exhausted by that stuff because it's like every book ended with, "Hey, I'm Stephen King. I'm gonna just burn down the town, and that's yeah. how the evil will be resolved." Right. 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 Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a good and a bad thing, right? Because I, I remember, um, you know. There were definitely kids' books, you know, like I'm talking about, like Charlie and Chocolate Factory, which I, sure. I, I love, and books like that. Um, but then, you know, as, as you got into middle school, there weren't like, there was not like, YA fiction existed. I know, yeah. but I'm talking about like, this is the early, this like mid 80s, right? Yeah. And um, it existed, but it wasn't like this force that it is now. So right. what we had to do, or like what I remember doing is like, and thank God that there were books around the house. I was reading what my parents were reading. And, you know, so my dad was all into like Tom Clancy and Robert Ludlum and like Sweet. shit like that. Great, right? But um, so I would have liked something that wasn't about like submarines, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was like maybe, could about, maybe about some kid in middle school. Yeah, something so you could relate to. Yeah. You didn't feel like, uh, you know, but whatever that but guy's I, name is, Jack Ryan or whatever. <laughs> right? That was like as fun as that was, but it did start me reading stuff that was like, you know, above my 
level, right? Yeah. So that that was a good thing. But at the same time, you just sort of felt like, you know, what? Like, there are no experiences in literature that are like, you know, that are for 12 to no. 15 year olds. Whereas now, you're right now. So there's now a, there's, there's a boom is. in that. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I think the books that I loved prior to the era you're talking about, the age you're talking about, were all Judy Bloom's. Yeah, super fudge right. and all that yeah. shit. Yeah. Like and I thought that was amazing. Yeah, they're fantastic. And then there was nothing. So when, I mean, the books I mentioned: The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Stephen King. My mom read Stephen King. My stepdad's a sci-fi guy. So it's what they. You're right. It's what they had laying around. Yeah. So it's just like, well, I'll just read this because it's here. Same here. My, and my, my stepdad's my, Playboys. But yeah, that's a whole. Other thing. Yeah, that's yeah. different. Yeah. Um, and you Those were great articles. Them. You were reading. No, there were yeah, great articles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing interviews. Yeah. Yeah, I now know how to mix a martini yeah. and a couple of uh, jokes from the Underbash Dictionary. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, Stephen King, like, I think a lot of people our age, um, Stephen King would be the first person. Yeah. Because he was in, like, everybody's house. Oh, like, yeah. Stephen everybody's King. parents had a Stephen King novel. And then Dean Coons and Anne Rice. Yeah. And then I realized, like, the, the sort of, there's something really great about, like, I defend still those books. Uh, I, the Shining is like oh, one great. of my favorite books. It's, it's book. so I, good. I read that in bed with the flashlight, like yeah, the typical right? bullshit yeah, stereotype. I did, the same I did thing. that. Yeah. Me too. Because it was terrifying, and I had it. Yeah. Well, I told you. Did I ever tell you my Shining story? I don't think so. Please do. So I wanted to read Stephen King. Uh, actually, I, I read Salem's Lot was the first one, and then I read yep. that Cemetery, and yep. I started reading them. But I I skipped. The Shining for years because I was traumatized by the movie. Yeah. When I was ten, my dad let me watch. Why? Because um, my dad. Why? Okay, so my parents. So my parents divorced. <laughs> okay. And uh, see, my dad listens to this podcast, so he can he knows the story. But <laughs> so I would go to spend summers in Columbus, Ohio, with my dad. Okay. And uh, his wife, while like you know, I'd spend most of the year in the in Chicago summers with my mom. So when I would, would go there, I don't know if this is true, but my, you know, your parents had you young, you know, like my parents had me when they were in their twenties. So they're figuring shit out. They don't know what the fuck to do with kids. So I was like ten when The Shining was on cable, and I kind of theorized that my dad was like, like he would let my brother and I do shit that my mom maybe wouldn't because he's trying to like you know win us over yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So he's like, you want to watch this movie we're gonna watch tonight? It's called The Shining, and he'd seen it. And I said, what's it about, Dad? And he goes, oh, it's about a guy who's slowly going insane. And I thought that was sounding funny. Like, oh, okay, he's going to go, like, run around going, hey, I'm crazy. Uh, like, I didn't know it was going to be like, like Chevy Chase's version of The Shining is what you're imagining. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Not like Jack Nicholson with an axe. I mean, like, so I watched the movie, fucking traumatized, like, watching it terrified. The entire night, I couldn't sleep. My dad knew this because he would get up every hour or so come visit me in my bedroom like bunk beds with my brother my brother's up, up in the above bunk like sleeping like a log and I'm down there like in a cold sweat my dad's got a rag on my head yeah. exactly yeah. covers all the way to my chin give me a glass of water like Vince you need anything <laughs> so he knows I'm fucked up by this and he's like being a good dad like he's, he's oh that's good he didn't come in there and torture you and be like red rub well you the know. next day I was seemingly over it and he came to the dinner table and he thought this was going to be funny with an axe. No, he didn't. He didn't. He did so. I spoke too soon. He came in doing a Jack Nicholson impersonation and he kept calling me like the kid. He goes, Vince, Vincent boy. Yeah. And I apparently, I screamed so loud and uh, my that brother and my stepmother horrifying. told me that my face looked just like the boy's face in The Shining with that horrified <laughs> look. And he felt so bad. He's like, oh, fuck, this didn't work. And he was probably, was he, he was in his early 30s. He didn't know what the fuck he was doing. He probably thought it, he thought it was going to be funny. 
and he realized, oh, I just fucking traumatized this kid. I probably scarred him for life. And uh, that and was he, it. And he did. He did, Scarred absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Five, it took me five years to watch another horror movie, and now I love them. And I can trace all that back to that. But, like, you need to be traumatized a little, I guess. But So when the time came for me to read the book, it was just, like, therapy. It's like, I'm going to fucking face this thing that I buried, which is yeah. this story, which horrifies me. Yeah. And I read it, and it was way scarier than yeah. anything I could have even fucking read. So that's my shining star. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Books were very important to me at a certain point. Me too. Life. And that was the first thing that I started writing. Was like trying to really? imitate, imitate that stuff. Oh, actually, yeah, I didn't like, say yeah, yeah. Really, like vampire school. stories and shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, everybody was like trying to burn something down or like bite someone. I mean, like that was pretty much like all my stories. I make a joke about that in something I wrote um, about how like all you need to do in a Stephen King book is be a, a child or, or regain your childlike innocence, and you will defeat the evil. Yeah, like, yeah. That's all it does is you yeah, stand. I, you know, I think you're absolutely them. right. I've never thought about that. But it's all like I remember this story that I read by Stephen King it was, a, it was a novella that got me to stop reading it uh, it was called The Library Policeman I don't know that it's one. a piece of crap book I mean it's not good <laughs> I, mean, I, I kind of defend a lot of Stephen King but he's got some like he'll even admit like when, during his cocaine heavy years he's like yeah that was a bad book yeah. like, he said the Tommy Knockers is a bad book and it is and I read it it's a fucking terrible book but there's book. something to be said for that too like if you're I mean like it's okay. Yeah. Right? So write I mean, a bad like, book. you know, yeah. people put out bad albums. And sure. But, you know, and no one, like, jumps off their ship unless they put together, like, do you think four author, bad albums. Do you think but authors like, are less forgiven? Or? I do. I do. Because it's um, a bigger think, thing you invest in? And I do. And I think, like, you know, the reason why we can forgive Stephen King is he has, like, a thousand books. And so, like, if, seven, if you know, if 750 of them are great, <laughs> man, he's still awesome. <laughs> That's why I think, like, I've always had that theory that, you're, that I don't believe that you're only as good as your last day's work. I yeah. think if you write something, or, if you, or like, if you want to talk about music, you want to talk about filmmakers, you want to talk about writers, if you make something that's that fucking good, you get a pass on a lot of things. Like, I think, like, like Joseph Heller wrote Catch-22. That's who I was thinking of. That's yeah. the first person who came to mind. Like, he doesn't need to write another great book. Yeah. Like, somebody once said, to, you know this story about when someone said to Joseph Heller, like, you've never written a book as good as Catch-22. And he said, neither has anyone else. <laughs> so he's like, my last few books could be shit, but fuck it. I wrote Catch-22. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're, you're done. Although, I mean, I, I think that, I mean... I'm not that familiar with the rest of his books, but I don't think they're good. That, yeah, I was gonna something say something happened. Like, I was gonna say some, That's something. That's happened. Book. People talk about something happened being very good. I have a buddy of mine who talks about it a lot. It's flawed, it comes, but it comes good. up a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, there are no, it's clearly a great other books. Jersey Kaczynski is another one. Uh, have you read him? So the Painted Bird is one of the most fucking disturbing books I've ever read. Like, it really kind of reminded me of reading Stephen King again as an adult, because it's like I can't go back to Stephen King. I need something else to kind of, you know, do that same level of weirding me out and freaking me out. And I think the Painted Bird is maybe the closest I've gotten as an adult. And I read it only about maybe five years ago. I waited for a long time. It's really good, but it's okay. really fucking disturbing. Yeah. And his, he's got another book called Steps, which is really good. David Foster Wallace said that was his most fucked up book and brilliant book. And he's really? right. It's really good. 
Um, but he has this notoriously bad last book called, I think, The Hermit of 53rd Street or something like that. And it's this big, fat, sprawling, like, like doorstop of a novel yeah. that people love or hate, and most people hate it. Yeah. And then he committed suicide in the weirdest way, like, put a bag over his head in the bathtub and died. Uh, yeah, Jersey Krasinski is a weird story. But um, he didn't have to write another book. Like, his last book could be horrible for all I care because he wrote this one really amazing book. And fuck it, like, he earned his rights. Uh, and I can think of musicians that I would say the same thing. Like, my favorite musicians can coast, as far as I'm concerned, if they put out a record that's that good. Yeah. So we're not going to get into this because every podcast I talk shit about the same people and I talk <laughs> praise about the same people. And Jeff's well, laughing. Let's, yeah, let's because, not do that. Let's but talk about this, something else. But I will say that, like, Martin Scorsese is a director who can coast. He can make okay movies now because he's fucking made Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, After Hours, which is a masterpiece that no one's really seen, but After Hours is great. Fuck it, he can turn out whatever he wants now. The Aviator, a bunch of movies about with Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't give a fuck. Like, you, you've earned the right to coast. I, I would agree. I don't think you want to coast, but I'll forgive. And there's a lot of writers that do it. Yeah. Vonnegut was a guy that I love, and you know he's got great books and he's got mediocre books, but yeah. I can go on and on about yeah. like people writers. I just think that's got to be okay. I mean, it's just got to be okay because like if you you've got to be able to understand that every single thing you produce does not deserve to be out there. Probably, you know. I mean, I, you do. I mean, once you understand that, then like. No, it's it's it feels okay to fail. Is it humbling or is it just? I just freeing. think it makes it. It's freeing. To, okay. For me, it's freeing. I mean, you yeah. know, it's just it's okay to fail, right? I mean, it's just it's okay. You're going to, so it needs to be okay. You mean right? in the sense that like uh, no writing is ever perfect. It's always a failure. It's the best failure you can produce. Yeah, Samuel you know, Beckett. But, I, but I also mean that like the expectation that if I sit down this pat, let's just say I wrote, let's say this next year. I set a goal for myself, and I don't do this, so I'm just making this up. But I'm going to write five stories, right? The expectation that all five of those stories are going to be, like, lit mag quality or publishable yeah. is an expectation that I don't think is realistic. Interesting. Do you think if you published a book that had um, a collection of short stories and you felt stronger about half of them than the others is that something you could live with no that's different okay. because like there are plenty of stories that I wrote that aren't in this collection that's what I figure you know, yeah. that's what I mean and that's okay. what I mean it's like it's like not seeing everything you do as, as, being, like, oh, okay. as being like oh sure a number one hit oh yeah right that just can't be the way you operate oh no I've killed so many things I've written yeah, yeah of you've got to be able to do that yeah. you know even things that you've spent a lot of time on I mean or else I don't know I think you're just I think you're setting yourself up for, for even deeper and more damaging failure if you yeah. believe that like everything, everything you do is number one down, right it helps uh, to have a certain healthy sense of uh of, of I suck going on it doesn't even have to be that right I mean it doesn't even have to be it just it's like a healthy awareness of of your own I guess maybe it is I suck I don't know <laughs> no I <laughs> it's mean it's like a healthy awareness of your own ability or or yeah. or flaws and you know like I don't know. That's just that's just something I think about, right? Because I, I I feel like the longer you work on the story, the more you expect it to be like the one. Yeah. And it might not be. 
I don't know. I see. That's, that's, I like that not having the one. <laughs> like everything that I've written, I feel. Um, well, that's not true because like I have a memoir and I don't like it. So I like the thing that's coming out next. Yeah. And I always I realize I always like the thing that's coming out next, and yeah. I kind of hate everything that's out. Yeah. Because it's kind of done, and I can't do anything with it. But I like that. Like I, I feel like everything I've done before is, is not great, and everything I'm doing in the future is great, or present even. Well, and I think not that's great. Maybe than, maybe great's a bad way. I think like, that's probably better than the uh, reverse, which is like yeah. everything that's coming sucks. I was so much better yesterday. No, I, I, I never feel that. <laughs> that's I, a terrible. I think I'm gonna be like 70 and come up with something I'm finally proud of. Yeah, well, like, that's okay. Uh, okay. Because the other way around is like you know high school quarterbacks. That's what. That's yeah. then you don't want to do that, right? The glory days. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Or <laughs> my last, my old roommate who used to have his, who was in his fucking pushing 40 and still had his high school trophies out. I always talked about how much he got laid in high school. Like, yeah. yeah, that guy. Yeah, you don't want that. No, I don't, you don't want to be the literary equivalent yeah. of the high school no, quarterback. You really don't. <laughs> No, because there's something about that that is. I mean, I don't, maybe I suck is, is too harsh. I guess uh, a certain, I, I think it is a certain healthy level of, of humble recognition of your own. Um, well, for me, it's always like you have this thing in your mind that you want to do, and then it never comes out exactly the way you picture it. Mm-hmm. So that's my biggest thing. Yeah. Um, so I always see the flaws. In yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I'm happy, which I'm okay with, because like uh, I don't know, I'm writing a short story now. I'm very happy with, and again, I'll, I'll look at it in a month and hate it. Yeah, but I'm really thrilled with it right now. But you, that's I think good. it's brilliant right now, in in, in a way, <laughs> like great. in a cocky way. But in a month, I'm going to realize how flawed it is. Yeah, but you're already doing something good, which I, which is like you know that there is this thing that you're going to do with this story, which is look at it again in a month. Yeah, you know, the honeymoon so, phase is not yeah, to be trusted. Yeah, yeah. right. Like I, I think you know that's that's a much better way to approach things than than. Than sitting with this this feeling that you have right now, which is both true and false, right? It's it's real in that you feel that it's brilliant, but it's also kind of like deceptive. It is. And so time allows you to come back to it, and it still may be brilliant when you come back to it in a month, but you're going to look at it in a different way. Um, Probably. I mean, I can guarantee I will. Yeah. I used to do it with the poems, though. I used to see them as being like... uh, like I used to see the stuff that I did once upon a time as better than the stuff I did now, which is when I knew I maybe needed to take a break. Yeah. And then going back to it, I see it as better. But, yeah. But there is something about like that. I, th- I think the honeymoon phase of, of, of working on something is important to be aware of because uh, you do kind of get like, I'm in love with this thing I'm working on. I'm really excited about it, but I'm not seeing it with like clear eyes. Right. No, you're not. You got to get away from it. everything. That you do, you have to have some Which is why it's really good to have a pure group uh, yeah. that you can trust a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have one? Sort of. Um, I have a friend who will read the poems and be very honest. But since I'm not writing too many of those these days, I don't have anyone to really read the stories so much. The essays. I'm not offering, by the way, Vince. I'm you very should. Busy. I'm not going to um, give you anything to read. I wouldn't want to give you anything. Oh, good. In fact, that's you the thing. I, I feel you like read I, my book, so you don't trust my. Opinion. No, I don't I trust your opinion for yeah. shit. No, no, I don't. I do feel like it's a bit of a burden to do that. I really do. Like you really have to ask somebody to do that is is asking a lot of them. 
and uh, like that's why when I was when I wrote the, the the thing that's most recent that's coming out, like I felt like no one no one read it at all. Um, yeah, you need some money? Yeah, here. Uh, you want the login? Yeah, please. We have this right here. Sure. Yeah, please. All right, we owe Jeff around. Okay. I do feel like uh, I had no one to read that because I did not want to send it to anyone. Like the, the dude I have who would read my poems doesn't want to read my prose. Okay. Uh, the prose writers are now I'm not tight enough with to really do that to them because it's like asking a friend to help you move. It's really a big yeah. deal. Right. Um, the only person I've ever been able to do that with is our mutual friend Gary. And um, you've been able to do what with as to he'll move, read he'll, anything I send him if I did. And I don't say, send him I picture much. Jerry like moving your stuff. And no, Gary's not really moving. Yeah. Gary's not moving a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, But I have, like, I haven't sent him any of this. Like, I just felt like no one I know is really gonna. I have to just fly blind on this one. Yeah. And so I said that to my. I did the worst. I will thing read it, Vince. I'm just joking. That's fine. No, it's I, mean, okay. I know you. I, if I asked you, you might. I know. Of course it was. Well, the problem I did is, is, is I sent it to my first draft to my publisher, which is a bad idea because they're not a workshop, they're not a peers, they're just looking for the final draft. Mm -hmm. uh, but since I had a bit of a relationship with her, I'm like, would you be interested in this manuscript? And her, her response was like, after several revisions. Yeah. So it was like, all I got was, okay, I need to do this. Yeah. So eight revisions later. And so you're talking about the book that's coming out. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's finally like, she's like, oh yeah, I like this. But like, I couldn't give her an early draft and get feedback. Right. So, which is why I'm like, yeah, it's why like, this is the year for me to like, start going to more events. And, yeah. You know, actually like, reconnect with people that yeah. I haven't talked to in a while. Yeah. You know, you miss having peers, so we'll do that. Yes. Did she... So she didn't actually help you in any of those revisions? She did suggest stuff, but in the early days... Like, her, her response was, Thank you. it should be funnier because you're... You're better when you write funny. That's great advice. Be funnier. Be funnier. Would you just be funnier, please. Yeah, like and a little smidge more handsome. Even know, and, you know, yeah, right. Smarter if you could. Yeah. yeah. Bigger cock. You know all those things <laughs> that you, know, you don't want to hear. But it was, it was very much like, this is good, but it's too. You're a downer. Yeah, no one wants to read. But this. that's you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, yeah. partly, but you're a funny too. But like the mix of it's the, of the down and the funny, right? Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, Which like, is what it is. No, yeah, I think that's what you want. But you can't yeah. be something you're not. Uh, I can be a downer. Sure. I know, but you can't be like you know. I don't remember who I, where I was when I said something where everyone looked at me like, "Well, Jesus Christ, that's depressing." Like, <laughs> that's depressing. You've ever been that guy? Where, like, bring the room down. <laughs> like Thanksgiving's great, but what about all the people we slaughtered? Yeah, yeah right. Like, you know, you're that yeah. fucking guy. Yeah, Maybe I am that guy. Like, <laughs> you are that guy. That's all right. We need that guy. Probably so. So we got the book. We're plugging that a little bit. Anything else going on? Any, uh, how's everything going? Uh, I gave it a good review. Good. Good. Oh, did you? That's did. great. I need some of those, I think. I'm not really even sure how Goodreads works, but I, I think that I'm, I'm glad that you did that. Well, I didn't give, actually, I just give it stars. Oh, I shit. I, I, I drafted a review. I haven't posted it. Okay. But like, like, how does that work? Do you know how it works? Okay, here's, how, here's what I know. Because you might have a different... I don't know what's going on, because I looked at your Goodreads page, and you've got people who've given it, like, stars. Yeah. But no one's written a review. Right. So it's your Amazon page, and you need Amazon reviews. Right. But I don't know if this is the same with you, but I was... 
basically told like by my publisher, get fucking Amazon. Yeah, why? Like because there are. I mean, I think this is different if you have some connections. But book bloggers and reviewers will not touch your book without like solid number of Amazon reviews. Like that's the industry we live in. And I'm not the only person who's heard that. Like I've had other writer friends with books out who are like, I won't just give you a blind review, but I'll read your book if you'll read mine, and we'll, we'll give it an Amazon yeah. rating. So I do that as a thing, not not as even so much like as a bribe, but it's like I'll read it, I'll give it a, re- a review. I don't give yeah, it, like it's an honest thing. Yeah, I've done it for friends too when they've asked because it's you know, something I don't, you need I, to do. Yeah. To like, to so I guess people, I'm really asking you if you would just give me an I will Amazon. Give you an, I will give you your first If nothing Amazon. else, that would be I'll great. A fuck. I'll, I'll pop Thank that you. fucking bubble <laughs> cherry or whatever the fuck this is. It's I haven't read the book, but I'm going to get on Amazon right. and get home. Yeah. I'm going to fuck it. Right. Just yes. crank it out. <laughs> Woo. That's great. We could do like, hearing us talk right now, that's enough. That's all I need. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I see the cover. It's nice. It's got, you know, it's professional. Yeah, so just, you know. Tight binding, beautiful package. Tortoise puts out a good yeah, I mean, um, so it, it, it's strange to me. Yeah, so I guess I just need to ask everybody, yeah, to say something. I just haven't done that. I haven't said, hey, yeah. the twenty people who bought this book, could you please write a review on Amazon? Because that feels dirty, doesn't it? A little bit. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, you know, because I don't like. I don't. I haven't really liked it when I've been asked to do that. If you, I, I shouldn't say that. It's it's been fine, but it, it does um, put a little bit of different pressure on the reading experience. If you're anything like me, self promotion's hard. Yeah, I don't mind some self promotion, but that one just is like I don't know. Does the literary world have like where you send out advanced copies? To... Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean I've gotten reviews, but like you got like good the, reviews. Yeah, they're yeah, the ones. reviews that are going to end up in like a you know, a website or in like a trade publication or whatever aren't going to then like, I can't just like copy and paste them into Amazon. They're on the page as part of like, hey, look at this book and look at all the things people are saying about it. So you have things like, you know, the trib. I got I got like a blurb from them on there. Sure. But then when you scroll down, no one's it's like it's got like no stars or like no reviews. Well, it's like yes, it's profe- it's been professionally reviewed. Other customers have also bought but, yeah, yeah, but because my mom hasn't reviewed it, right? It's yeah. like it, it's a weird right? it's weird, right? Because like you that's what I don't get about it. It's like you can have industry reviews and they can be up there. But yeah, but unless your friends are like, thumbs up, best book ever, you get nothing. Then you, it's then, fucking then it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, no, no, it's exactly. weird. You can get um, actual people who read it and give it a thoughtful review in a publication that does not have a lot of impact. But if they don't do that on Amazon.com, right. it's not going to have. It's not going to yeah, matter because Amazon is behemoth that it is which is fine but it just means you have to be very savvy at that kind of shit which I'm not really savvy at that and yeah clearly like, I'm not savvy at that it's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna while we're talking I'm gonna send an email to everyone sure. I know please <laughs> like it on Amazon and give it a good review I did get uh, I got a really shitty Amazon review for my book and it was uh, from someone you know it must be <laughs> Like my, like at first I'm like, well, somebody read my book and they've discovered what a piece of shit I am. Like that, totally makes sense. Oh no, the students don't read my book. No, they yeah. just, they just give me shitty, they give me weird, like Rachel Professor. Yeah, um, I'm really bummed that I've never gotten a chili pepper on uh, 
uh, rate my professor, but whatever. Um, but no, no, like somebody gave me this like really bad review, which is okay. And then uh, my publisher saw it and she's like, it's someone you know who's, who you, who you haven't talked to in a while probably. And then when I reread I'm like, I think they're right because yeah. there's stuff in, that they wrote that's like, Wait, their criticism is rooted in like, well, none of this is actually true. It didn't really happen this way. So I'm like, oh, it's an ex-girlfriend or somebody I pissed off. At. Oh yeah, and I've made enemies. I mean, it's very possible. Yeah. Was were they quibbling with facts? I mean, like, is that is that what it was? Like, that and they also were like, well, they also said the writing was shit, which is yeah. you know a good, fair thing to say. I'm not trying to be self-deprecating, but like I can see, like when I reread when I reread that book, I do feel like oh yeah it's, I could have done better but I think that's always going to be the case so I'm not like bummed about that so much like I can almost accept that over like the reviews that, the, the part of the review that was like but I it's not even true yeah. oh yeah well it's not true it's like I say in the intro to the book uh, this is equal parts truth and bullshit because I don't give a fuck like that's yeah. what all memoirs are they're all lies anyway but, well, to me well yeah I mean there's there, um, there's a lot of discussion about that right I mean it, you, you're you're using your memory anyway, and like, so how could it not be in some, um, at least on some level? It's like when Kramer writes the, the memoir for Peterman. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's very much the Jay Peterman memoir. Yes. I'm in the subway getting my pants muddy. Uh, the very pants I was returning. I mean, every time you put, every time you put quotation marks mm-hmm. around a, around dialogue in a memoir, oh, it's you're lying. Yeah, you're, you're, you're unless, right, unless you were sitting here with your device, yes. right, then, then it's made up. You're recreating the spirit of a conversation yeah, from 20 years ago, so you have to, and the dialogue is always bad if you were, if you, if you were to use verbatim transcripts, oh my God. it's going to be a terrible yeah. read. Oh, yeah. You know, it's way better to, like, make it up and smooth it out. Well, yeah, I mean, dialogue's an artifice anyway, right? I mean, like, it's it's fun. Like, so I have, you probably do this. This is, like, a classic creative writing thing to do, right? You have your students go out and listen to people talk and try to write it down. And so I have my freshmen do that, and they come back, and they're like, oh, my God, people say nothing. Yeah, they say right? People absolutely. say nothing. So in addition <laughs> to, like, making it, imp- it was impossible to write down, but then I was like, why am I even writing it down? Yeah. Because, like, these people are not even saying anything. And so then it's like, well, yes, right? Like, we are crafting dialogue, right? And so when people say, oh, the dialogue's so good, they don't mean that it's your realistic. dialogue is realistic. Oh, no. They might say that, but that's not what they mean, because realistic dialogue sucks. Oh, it's absolutely great. Right? I mean, it's all, an, it's all artificial. And so people are really good at creating artificial dialogue that makes you believe that it's authentic. That's the challenge. <laughs> Which is weird. couple of movies that this director I used to, I really like uh, John Michael McDonough uh, he directed uh, The Guard which is a big movie and then he did uh, Calvary which is a great movie uh, mostly Irish films and then he did a movie in America which sucks but you know I'm hoping he comes back but like I read an interview with him where he even said like where someone's like yeah the dialogue in your movies is really kind of really really good it's not too fake but it's also clearly not real and he goes yeah I, I goes I really hate watching a movie where people speak like everyday life because it's just boring Mm -hmm. it's like I want it to be a little bit elevated but you gotta know how to pump the brakes before it gets to be like too cartoonish but he's right it's like dialogue that's absolutely realistic is horrible it's a fucking slob yeah who wants to read what are you doing tonight nothing Right. Fucking watching Netflix. It's just like, fucking, who cares? Right. Right. 
But I have read like dialogue that's so scripted that it feels like a 1940s movie. Where it's just like, yeah, see here now, come here. Yeah, yeah. it's just like uh, it doesn't feel real. It right. feels very artificial. Right. So that's tough. Yeah. But I love dialogue. I think. Uh, Me too. Do you ever read? Uh, there's this writer from South America. I used to love uh, uh, Manuel um, Puig, Argentinian writer, and like several of his books are just all dialogue. There's no. It's just conversation. It's like a script for 200 pages, and it's really tough to pull that off. But it seems easy. Like it seems like oh, I could write that, but it's really hard to sustain. Yeah, it is that for hundreds of pages. Yeah, uh, but he does, and it's really, really interesting. And I always like that because I, he wanted to be a filmmaker, a screenwriter, but he's like. I don't know how to do that, so I just write a novel. Yeah. And he just wrote it all in dialogue because he yeah. didn't really know how to write description or any of the other stuff, like you know, exposition. So and it works. It's really, really, really captivating stuff. But it's because he just has this gift of capturing how people talk, but also making it flow in a way that just carries you. Yeah. So and also like people who are good at that, they, their ability to um, characterize through dialogue is it has to be has to be top level because if you're if you're only going to have like people talking then the reader has to know who's talking and if they have to know who's talking then they have to be talking in ways that are characteristic of that person and Unless so the people want to piss them off yeah and then then that then they're just confused but like you know the ability to do that is like really impressive right it's like oh well i you know i can i can track this conversation because character a would never speak this way right yeah and to know that like that's that's a yeah. Uh, William Gaddis has that famous book. It's either Junior or Jr. I never know what, which one it is. Um, which is like you know, 800 page book of all dialogue basically. Uh, apparently, like part of the thing with that book is disorienting the reader to the point where there's we don't quite know who's talking anymore. So I kind of I haven't read it. I really want to read that, but uh, you know I can't pull it off. That's a literary experiment. Yeah. Like which I could never even attempt. Yeah. Well, that one, then. yeah, at that rate, I don't, I don't uh, know about there's, that. There's guys like that that I'm never gonna be like. Yeah, Gaddis, Pynchon, these guys, I'm never gonna pull this shit off. Like I'm okay. I mean, with you, that. Yeah, you might not want to. I don't. Want well, to. no, no, I don't aspire to even. Right. But well, that's the thing. Like, I was thinking about this because uh, I don't remember I was talking about this with, but it's like. Like, who are your favorite writers? Who are your favorite novels? And I listed all these, like, really highbrow literary things, like, you know, James Joyce, Finnegan's Wake, and fucking... Um, yeah, you're... By the way, you're the only person I, I know who's read Finnegan's Wake. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure I might be with people. A lot of people know who's read that. It only took me a year to read it. Yeah. It's actually... It's really brilliant, which we won't I, that's go into. What you, that's what you say. I love it. It's, I it's, know you do. It's the kind of thing where... I wanted to read it because it's like the only, the closest I'm going to get to running a marathon is that reading yeah. that book. I'm not going to run a marathon. I'm not going to clump my Everest, but I'm going to like fucking read this but book. But here's the thing that I love. I, I believe that you love that book. I do. Like, I don't I think that you're like blowing smoke up my ass and trying to be pretentious. No. Like, that's the thing. Because I, I will tell you, I don't understand a lot. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to claim like, oh, I know everything about that. Like, I, I'm your go-to guy to explain that it gets way to you. Yeah. But anyway, back to what you were saying. Like, well, like, you were naming all this. Like, I love that. I'm reading Gravity's Rainbow is brilliant. Yeah. I'm reading all... I love to read shit like that. 
but I could never, but like, I couldn't write like that. Cause like, I published her, I had like a press thing where she was like, well, who are the, who are your influences? And I'm like, I, if I name Joyce and people like that, like I'm feeling I'm doing a disservice cause they are influential as a reader, but not really as a writer. Like, cause I can't pull that off. It's yeah, more it like, doesn't guide people to like, oh, like, you know, if you like Joyce, you'll like Vince. No, you yeah. will not like Vince at all. <laughs> you will hate Vince if you like Joyce. But like, uh, Sergei Dublatov and fucking Kurt Vonnegut and like these really kind of, uh, clean prose, straightforward, mm-hmm. not a lot of like uh, prankster literary shit going on. That's more of my wheelhouse as a writer. I was thinking about this even when I was reading your book and reading uh, a lot of people's books. It's like there's there's these beautiful moments of description, and you do actually hit on moments where I'm just like, fuck you, Jeremy. Oh, good. You came up with that. Fuck good. you. Like, I well, hated thank you, you. I, at least three that's times. That's what I want. Like, I read this and get, and fuck you, you do for writing want that. Yeah, because I, I have that feeling. Every writer has that feeling. Oh, yeah. When you like, read something, you're like, man. Fuck you for writing that. Good. So that's good. too good, you prick. Right? But if I could take you down a peg. No, please. This don't. isn't taking you down. This is more of a question, like, about as a writerly thing. Like, I don't really write, like, like I, I read poems and I read essays and I'm writing short stories now and I'm trying to fuck with them and I always have. But I don't think of myself as, like, a crafty short story writer, like, because I never studied it. But I read short stories and go, oh, wow, it's really amazing. Like, I mean, like, you read George Saunders and go, how the fuck does he do that? Yeah. And you read, like, yeah. these amazing guys who do it. Right. Uh, or Tobias Wolf and all these writers. Yeah. And even reading you, I'm like, oh, he does that thing that's really good. So I don't do that because I think I realize, like, if I, I, I write almost exclusively first person, mm-hmm. and I feel like my character would never say that. Yeah. Like, my character would never describe uh, a meal. Like, this grilled cheese would never have this description. Like, yeah. he would only say, I ate a grilled cheese. Like, yeah, he would never, absolutely. like, go into this poetic, flowery right. description of course. Of that bugs the shit out of me. Yeah. When okay. first person narrators speak in ways that don't sound consistent with their character. Okay, good. I feel better. Um, <laughs> Because I worry that my right... That the You've sh- got to prove to me that that's the way the person would describe their grilled cheese. He would say something like, this grilled cheese is an epiphany. Um, you know. Yeah. No, no. I mean, you know, like... One of my favorite first-person narrators is um, Richard Ford's Frank Baskin and, oh. and um, you know, the sports writer in Independence Day. Yeah, Independence Day. Lay in the land. Um, Frank Baskin is a writer. He's a writer. Yeah. He can say whatever he wants. That makes sense in the context. And it's beautiful. Right? I believe it. But he's a writer. He started out as, you know, writing short stories and then became a sports writer because no, even then nobody, like, you know, wanted to buy his short stories. And so in his novels, I'm like, I'm okay. Right? I'm okay in Frank Baskin's voice. Okay. Like, but that's set up. Yeah. It's set up from the very beginning that he would be this type, that, that's just all part of his character. Whereas, like, you know, somebody else speaking like that might not, might right. not, might well, not nobody I, And Saunders does that brilliantly. Yeah, right? he does. Like every, every first person voice that, that he inhabits speaks differently. Yeah. And speaks in a way that, that, that only that character can yeah, speak. I don't know how he pulls that off, that guy's under the I, world. It's, it's, he's touched. Did you read Lincoln Lombardo? Yes. Yeah, I just read that uh, a couple months ago. Right, perfect example, right? I mean, Man, like, that was amazing. Yeah. Like, every character sounds different as this thing. Yeah, and it's, and so that's, I mean, I, I think that what you're talking about is exactly right. I mean, and, and, and I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is I feel the same way when I'm writing in first person. I have to be able to, I have to be able to write in the way that that person would, 
sound. Yeah. And a lot of times, my first-person narrators just, you know, kind of sound like I do. Oh, they sound like assholes. Yeah. Like, the guys I write. No, no, not yours. I'm saying, like, like, you're right. Like, I... Like, if I write... Like, I wrote a story that's an entire, like, monologue, basically, from one guy's point of view. But he's like, you know, a dude I know who's a bar fly. It's like, he's not going to sit there and say anything poetic. He's going to say... But we also shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that, like, a type of person can't say something mm-hmm. poetic, right? Like, I, I don't, can't I wanna, come up with something right. Yeah. I, I don't want to. I don't want to fall in that trap either. No, like, I don't like, want it to be like 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 Edward G. Robinson the whole time. Like, hey, see you here, right? Here. Yeah, but but what I mean is like, I, you know, I think it can be dangerous to think that like, okay, for instance, you know, just to use a stereotype I'm familiar with, right? To think that like, if you've got like some quote unquote redneck in your story, that this like that this like redneck from you know rural Georgia can't come up with something poetic is is doing that person a disservice right sure. so, so I don't mean like that's that's the trouble that you can get into by like being reliant on on this you, what, what I mean is you have to make me believe that the individual that you're talking about from this specific place in Georgia does do that and you have to do that with every character no matter who they are no I hear you otherwise they become caricatures yeah by the way this is one of the saddest songs I've ever written so just gonna interject that for a second Dire Straits, Romeo and Juliet. From the third, we're gonna get sued. Yeah, right, gonna get yeah, sued. Yeah, we'll <laughs> Mark Knopfler. Uh, I'm a closet Dire Straits fan. The third record, Making Movies, is one of my favorite albums, and I've cried many times listening to this. So don't fucking sue me. Um, <laughs> but like a good, like a, a good example of that is like I read, I read a story. Who the fuck wrote this? But it was a story where it wasn't. It was a southern thing, and like the character felt like a caricature because mm-hmm. it was all about like. Like everything they say is the kind of thing you would expect to see in a shitty movie mm. made about like this probably made about the South by somebody who's not from the South. Yeah. Like it's very much like let's depict this character as mildly racist mm-hmm. and kind of crude and would say, you know, use the word pussy a lot and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. But as a southerner, yeah. you probably have more insight into the idea of like the possibility of something poetic or interesting coming from a character versus you know like us Yankees who I think that's another thing like if you write outside of your of your regional experience like yeah. I think that's the thing people do they paint these characters yeah you have Robinson thing, Davies you have did that like he wrote a lot of characters who I would read and go I don't believe this because I feel like he's writing down yeah that's yeah. what that's kind of what I mean right you, you don't want to do that <laughs> that's not a good thing to do Thank you.